we're going to pray, but before we pray, I want to share five things uh, that can hinder our coming to God in prayer. The first one is we don't ask, and it's because of lack of belief or trust. The second one is we, we pray with selfish motives. Third, we have a consistent or persistent sin in our life that we don't want to get rid of. Fourth, we have an unforgiving spirit towards others. We want to be forgiven, but it's hard for us to forgive for some reason. And number five, we lack generosity. We lack being generous. Uh, Serving in ministry, for example, or maybe selfish with our finances. So today as we pray together, let us come to God emptied of ourselves, seeking only his glory. Amen? So let us pray. Dear God, we are here today with only one aim in our hearts, and that is to worship you in spirit and in truth. We desire only to bring you honor and glory and to put aside the things of self as we empty ourselves to receive the filling of the Holy Spirit. Let Jesus be blessed and exalted and praised as we proclaim love for our Lord and Savior. Please bless the preaching of your word as we humbly speak, seek to obey your word and to do your divine will, Father. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Now, before I begin, I'd like to just take a quick moment to express uh, my deep gratitude to our elders, John and Grady, uh, for allowing me the privilege of preaching God's word to you today. God has been gracious to me, so gracious. He's been so merciful to me, so loving to me. He saved my soul. In fact, he's the author and perfecter of my salvation. And for this reason, I may get a little emotional today as I speak to all of you. And, you know, it's just what us Reformed, Bible-believing, charismatic folks sometimes do. And often my response to this amazing grace is in the form of a question. I don't know if you've ever asked yourself this question, but it kind of goes like this. Who would have thought I'd ever get to know him this way? Now, today we're finishing up our five-week series on heartbeats, and it's the things that mark the life of the church and its members. This morning's sermon is about the Holy Spirit, the source of life for the church, the promise by Christ, and given at Pentecost, resulting in the start of the church age. But first, let's do a little review together on the first four weeks as taught to us by Pastor Grady. Week one was mission, the scripture being Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. And there we learned that the continuing work of the body of Christ is to bring glory to Jesus by offering the message of salvation to all people. Teaching those who receive our message to renounce ungodliness and wait in holy expectation for the return of Christ. Week two was spend and be spent. I I like that one. It was 2 Corinthians 12, 15 and 1 Corinthians 12, uh, uh, 12 through 27. 
And there we learn that we should be glad to spend ourselves fully for the sake of the body of Christ. We are one body and individually members of each other, and we honor Christ when we care for his body. Week three was sacraments, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. And we learned about baptism and communion, communion being the signs of our belonging to the one God and Father of us all. These essential commands given to us by Jesus remind us that we belong to one body, one spirit, one faith, and they call us to walk in a manner that is worthy of Christ our Lord. Week four was forever fellowship. This was the whole book of 3 John. And here we learn that we belong to an everlasting fellowship of friends. And therefore we should pursue meaningful friendships with those in the body of Christ. With the understanding that we are building something of eternal value in those relationships. Now today, it's the living spirit, the Holy Spirit. If you please turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 16. And together we're going to read verses 1 through 15. I'll give you a second to get there. Now Jesus speaking said, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They put, they put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. You know, I think when Jesus was teaching his disciples, preparing them for what he knew was the end, his heart ached for them because he knew they were confused and sad. And I can imagine that he moved from one to another, putting his arms around them, and to each explaining in a simple fashion, as we do to our children, the important truths he wanted them to understand. And at one point, if, if, if you see there in verses 5 through 7, he said, but now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrows filled your heart. 
Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. Folks, there was the promise. The coming of the Spirit was based upon the word of the Lord Jesus. No conditions were attached. Jesus didn't say he would send the helper or comforter to some believers and not to others. Nor did he say that we had to belong to some special organization or we had to be higher on the scale of spiritual performance than someone else. He simply said, if I go, I will send them to you. Listen carefully, my friends. When Jesus makes a promise, he does not forget it or break it. Amen? We may doubt the promises of friends or family. We may even doubt our own promises to others. But we have never been given a promise by Jesus that has not been an absolute certainty. Now, some folks dismiss Jesus Christ just as a great teacher, or perhaps one of the outstanding religious leaders of the world. But when it comes to promises, it's interesting to contrast his words with other great religious and philosophical leaders. For example, as the founder of Buddhism was saying goodbye to his followers, he told them they must be their own light. Wow. Thanks for nothing and for the chubby little statue. I hope your karma runs over your dogma. When Socrates took the fatal cup, his disciples mourned he was leaving them as orphans. Jesus doesn't leave orphans. We are all adopted and then given the promised Holy Spirit to seal our adoption, to nurture us, to comfort us, to teach us, to lead us, to enable and empower us, the living spirit who indwells us and fills us. When we read our Bibles, we see exactly what happened. God raised Christ from the dead and gave him glory. Then Christ sent the Holy Spirit. This happened 50 days later when the promise was fulfilled at Pentecost. Turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And let's look at that day. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That wonderful, transformative day marked the difference between two words. Ask and receive. Before Pentecost, the emphasis was on asking. Luke eleven thirteen tells us, How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? After Pentecost, the emphasis was on the word receive. In Acts 2, 38, Peter says in his powerful sermon, Repent and let each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is often referred to as being baptized in the Holy Spirit or baptism of the Holy Spirit. And Brian, I just want to say to you personally, there's no need to worry here about my 
early Pentecostal days on this subject. He's always worried about that. As Grady once pointed out, I'm Calvinish, and I like that. Anyway, it's a one-time event that occurs when we are born again. The Holy Spirit regenerates the spiritually dead heart, bringing it to life, and then indwells the new believer. I think it's simultaneously done. Some others believe it's a consecutive and not a concurrent action. It really doesn't matter to me uh, because it, it happens and no matter where we stand theologically. This is called the gift of the Holy Spirit because it comes from God's grace and his redeeming work in us according to his plan of salvation. We are given the gift of faith to repent and believe and proclaim Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. This would not be possible without the Holy Spirit. No one who has ever been saved except for the work of the Holy Spirit. But it doesn't stop there. Someone once said that Jesus Christ gives us eternal life and the Holy Spirit gives us internal life. So let's look briefly at the person of the Holy Spirit and the ministry or works of the Holy Spirit. First of all, the Holy Spirit's a person. He is the third person of the Godhead or Trinity, possessing all the same attributes of the Godhead. Some of these divine attributes, just to name a few. The Holy Spirit is eternal, without beginning and without end. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere present with his, word, with his whole being at all times. He is omniscient. He knows all things, actual and possible, Effortlessly and equally well. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful and able to do anything consistent with his own nature. And he is holy. Some of the personal actions of the Holy Spirit are as follows. The Spirit comforts. The Spirit speaks. The Spirit makes decisions. The Spirit grieves over our sins. He overrules human actions. The Spirit searches the deep things of God and knows the thoughts of God. He determines the distribution of spiritual gifts. The Spirit interprets and brings human prayer before the throne of the Father. The Spirit assures believers of their adoption. Praise the Lord. And the Spirit bears witness to and glorifies Christ. And on this, I would expand a little more by stating how the Spirit glorifies Christ. Number one, the Spirit illumines the Word of God, the Bible, regarding the centrality of Christ. The Spirit empowers gospel preaching, the proclaiming of Christ. The Spirit brings regeneration and new life in Christ. And the Spirit sanctifies the believer, transforming the believer into the image of Christ. Going back to number two, just very quickly, the Spirit empowering the gospel, preaching, or proclaiming Christ. Uh, you know, I'd like to share with you my personal testimony. Fifty years ago today to the day. It was uh, Sunday, July the 4th, 1971. That's when... I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And it happened in Marine Boot Camp, of all places. 
I was about three weeks in, and up to that point, my only aim in life was what the drill, is that the drill instructor didn't know my name. I saw what happened to other guys whose names they found out about and made boot camp just harder than it had to be. So that wasn't for me. And that Sunday, we were given a choice that morning of attending religious services or hanging back at the barracks, trying desperately not to break rules that are impossible not to break, but like the Ten Commandments. And I chose religious services because I figured I could use a good nap. All right. When I got there, being raised Catholic, I was going to go to the Catholic service. And the Catholic chaplain wasn't there that day. So now we were given another choice. Wow, two choices of boot camp. Can you believe it? And that was to go back to the barracks or to attend Protestant services. Well, in my way of thinking, I could sleep through a Protestant sermon just as I could a Catholic uh, sermon. You look at me funny. I'm sure nobody here has ever slept through a sermon, right? At least not Grady's. Please, not mine. But that day I heard things I've never heard before. The chaplain was preaching from the Gospel of John, the third chapter, and you know what's coming. I heard you must be born again. What? I heard that God so loved the world, and this is how I heard it, that Jesus died for my sin. That's literally how I heard it in my heart and in my brain. And all I can tell you folks is that I was waylaid by the Holy Spirit. I knew I had no choice whatsoever but to repent of my sin and confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ was my Lord and Savior. And that's what I did. On my way back to the barracks, something else funny happened to me. I had this overwhelming urge to share what happened with me to someone at the bear. I didn't care who the first person would come up to. I was going to tell them what happened to me, that I'm born again. I was so excited. And I get back there, and there's nobody in the barracks, except for the head drill instructor who was in his office. Now, somehow mysteriously, that fear of him knowing my name went away. And I walked up there and I banged on that drill instructor's door with all boldness. And I heard the loudest booming voice I've ever heard in my life. Enter. And I walked in there with boldness and with purpose and I looked at the drill instructor and I said, drill instructor, drill sergeant, I have been, I'm born again. 
And Jesus died for your sins, and he loves you, and he wants you to be born again too. That's the response I got <laughs> to my first attempt at preaching the gospel. In fact, that response went a little further. I found myself right after that doing a whole bunch of push-ups with the drill instructor's boot firmly planted in the middle of my back. But those are the most glorious push-ups I think I've ever done in my life. Because that day, that day, I was saved. That day, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. That day, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. That day, I came under the influence and dominance and control of the Holy Spirit. That day, I was enabled and empowered by the Holy Spirit to proclaim Christ as Lord and Savior. Man, what a day that was. So because all believers are baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, they are under the influence of the Holy Spirit and led by the Holy Spirit. In human terms, uh, an example to be under the influence is an analogy that comes to mind when folks are under the influence of alcohol. They behave in ways not normal for them when they are sober. Quiet folks under the influence become loud folks. Shy folks under the influence suddenly become gregarious and outgoing, the life of the party, so to speak. I'm sure this never applied to anybody here, nor to myself. But when, we, when we're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, we begin to speak and act in ways that advance God's kingdom. We begin to proclaim the gospel to those around us. The Holy Spirit testifies to Jesus Christ through us. We start to become spirit-led. Now, I want you all to listen to this. This is very important. The Holy Spirit only leads us to one place and one place only, and that's to where God is always glorified. One of my personal favorite prayers is for the Holy Spirit to cause me to bring God glory. And it's a prayer that I can pray throughout the day. For instance, if I'm about to say something or do something or not do something, I can simply ask the Holy Spirit uh, that, will this bring glory to God? I just ask him. And his response is always immediate and certain, leaving me no wiggle room to argue. Often the Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance God's word with scripture that ministers to my soul giving me wonderful assurance of his leading and his keeping. Under the influence and leading of the Holy Spirit, God takes the ordinary and he makes the extraordinary. His saints who are controlled by the Holy Spirit move from natural to guess what? Supernatural. Who here today wants to glorify God? To do the extraordinary. To live supernaturally and not in the flesh. Who here wants to do good works in Christ for which we were created, for which you were created? Who wants to do that? Who here wants to get out of Friday and move over to Sunday and live on the resurrection side of the cross? 
I want to say at this point that when we are filled with the Spirit, it's not a question of there being more of Him. As though His work in us is somehow quantitative. No, it's not how much of the Spirit we have, but rather how much the Spirit has of us. The question is not how full are we, but how empty are we? He is in us in all his fullness. Whether we see this exhibited in our lives or not, just as when we receive Christ as Lord and Savior, we receive him in full and not in part. Then as we are being sanctified, we come to understand more and more that the law of Christ, of his lordship, then we begin to surrender and yield all the more. When we are born again, our spiritual capacity is small in the beginning, but only from our perspective. From God's perspective, we have the full measure of the Holy Spirit and begin, begin coming more and more under his influence and under his control. As we grow in grace and knowledge of Christ through the teaching of the Holy Spirit, then our spiritual capacities begin to enlarge. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are filled for a purpose. We are given power for a holy life. We are given power for service in the kingdom. And if we want to continue this amazing filling of the Holy Spirit, I would submit that we could look at three terms. Number one, understanding. Number two, submission. Number three, walking by faith. Understanding is knowing that we must understand certain truths that God has revealed in his word. First is that he has given the Holy Spirit and that he dwells in us. We must understand that God commands us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It is his will that we be filled with the Spirit. We need to understand that there is the presence of sin in our lives. Sin blocks the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We therefore must come to God honestly and deal with any known sin. This will lead to true repentance and trust. And I, I want to say here, we cannot be casual when it comes to sin. We cannot be content with just a cursory examination of our lives. Rather, as we prayerfully look to the Word of God, the Holy Spirit in turn will convict us of all the areas of sin that need confessing to God. We must remember, after all, he's the, uh, the author of Scripture. Next is submission. And this is simply renouncing our own ways and seeking above everything else to submit to Christ as Lord. We must be ruled by him in every area of our lives. Confession and repentance are the first step in submission. The second step is yielding ourselves to God and his will. Romans 6.13 says, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Number three was walking by faith. And walking by faith is simply applying the understanding of God's truth, submitting and yielding ourselves to God, and believing that because we are filled with the Holy Spirit, that he controls us and dominates us. We can now walk with assurance, full assurance, 
that God has already filled us and we are indeed under his control. When we walk by faith in the Spirit, we are telling God that we are totally dependent on him for our lives. You know, when I came to faith on Independence Day 50 years ago, what really happened is that God turned that into my Dependence Day. How dependent are you on God for your total life? Are you dependent in all circumstances or only in the ones you can't control? It cannot ever be part us and part Holy Spirit when it comes to control. Now there's so much more that can be said regarding the Holy Spirit. For instance, the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. But time constraints prevent that uh, or prevent this for now. You know, and I told Grady the other day that I believe our church, Maricopa Springs Family Church, is on the verge of a spiritual revival, if you will. And I look around me and I see servant hearts praying and doing God's will unselfishly and with joy. And I've seen this before, where the Holy Spirit rejuvenates tired Christians, where he captivates indifferent believers, and where he empowers a dead church. We spent five weeks looking at the heartbeat of a church and what is necessary to sustain spiritual health and power. And while the world and culture try to cram untruths like critical race theory down our throats, we as a church empowered by the Holy Spirit can pro, uh, proclaim radical grace truth. And that's because we are baptized in the Holy Spirit. We are filled by the Holy Spirit and led by the Holy Spirit. All to the testimony of Jesus Christ and the glory of God. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your holy scriptures and that your word is alive and active. We ask today that the Holy Spirit please open our eyes so that we may see anything that is hindering our relationship with you. Please forgive us for the idols we place above you. For not honoring you with our whole heart for our half-hearted devotion and misplaced affections. We ask that you continue to guide us and teach us the truth of your word. Thank you for your power and strength of the Holy Spirit that causes us to set our devotion solely on you. And we love you and praise you and your majesty in Jesus' name. Amen.